Hello listeners, it's a pleasure to have you with us again. This is another episode of The Science Shed. I have a young gentleman sitting opposite me. Who are you? Uh, hello there, uh, my name's Stephen Lee. I'm an academic at the University of Cambridge. I'm a physical chemist. Um, who am I? Uh, you're uh, Nick Evans, you're an associate professor at uh, Southampton University and a bioengineer. And why are we here? We're here in The Science Shed to kind of come together to chat about science a little bit while we kind of insult each other. Well, that does sound very informative and possibly entertaining. Shall we, shall we try and do that now? I think so, yeah. Okay, listen on. Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Why do we need Petri, Oscar, Isaac, Transplanting. Hello, Steve. How you doing? Hey, Nick. How you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, it's good to to be back with you again. Um, Welcome, everybody. Another podcast. But I feel like all we just say at the start of podcasts is it's another one. Like we're constantly surprised that we've managed to get another one out. I don't know why that is. It's quite surprising. We're getting good at it now. Well, that's what you say. Well, actually, we're, we're good at doing it now. We've yeah. done it. <laughs> like, whether it's good or not, it's different. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. But here we are. Yeah, so um, what have we got on the agenda this week? <laughs> I don't know, right? It's completely, <laughs> it's completely unscripted. <laughs> we don't know. I know a bit about what I'm going to say. I know, I've, I know what I'm going to say to I'm going to surprise Steve with some things that he doesn't know about. I'm very excited. That's actually, that's a bit ominous. It sounds a bit, oh, oh we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, so um, yeah, so, we're back in um, in the South, science shed. Yeah, back in the in the science it, where shed. it all began, Nick. This, this is, is the where, this yeah. is the site of the very first. Podcast. I wonder whether that decomposing bird's still outside in the garden. <laughs> I had a problem this morning before you arrived, Steve. Yeah. We we're, were actually in Southampton in my in my house again. So I was preparing for Steve's arrival by buying a selection of um, fine um, artisan cheeses. Steve's got he very to, expensive He likes to pretend taste. he's sophisticated. But exactly, I, and also some, some you know, bottles of vintage champagne. Excellent. We'll just so later. he was satisfied about being here. I went out of my house, all excited about what I was going to buy, and uh, I forgot my keys. Oh, Nick, <laughs> you locked yourself out. I did, I locked myself out, and usually I... I You're normally quite organised with those kind of things, aren't you? I'm normally. pretty organised. I'm normally a well, kind have you got, of... Have you got a system? Do you always yeah, have your keys like, in your right pocket? Wallet, wallet in the back. left, wallet in the yeah. left. Left front pocket? Fo- yeah, wallet okay. in the left front. Phone? Key, phone in the front right, yeah. keys in with the phone. Controversial, I know. So you just scratch the screen? Well, no, because I, I've got a big phone now, <laughs> which my student... <laughs> I inherited from my student. You should thank him. Yeah, thanks, Dan. It's thanks, a good Dan. phone. Um, but it's got like a kind of, it's so big that yeah. it fits, almost occupies the entire width pocket. of my pocket. So then Whole the key- pocket phone. That's yeah. the very first of all problem, isn't it? But then the keys can go on the right surface where the screen is not. To the back. Is and it- because the phone's so big, they can be trusted to remain there. Wow. But this morning, I just didn't think about it. I just left the house. I'd, I'd thought, about, I'd gone, in, I'd, I was organ- organised enough to remember to take a an old carrier bag with yeah. me, but not organised enough to remember my keys. So I tried to get in my next door neighbour's house on one side because she's got a key and normally she's we're, we're good friends, so normally right. she does. She can help you she out. She wasn't there. She's in Bournemouth. So I texted what? her. Did you break in? No, I went to the other neighbour. Other neighbour. On the other side. Also very nice. She doesn't have a key, unfortunately. Um, and she was also in a dressing gown. 
<laughs> it's quite early. Well, I want to say early in the morning. It's about nine thirty. Okay, but it's Saturday. Yeah, know. that's allowed. And then, um, so I had to had to go and climb over her fence in the back garden. Oh, and then you just you left the back door unlocked. Back door was unlocked. Nah, window was open. Well, Happy go. days. Well, 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 I'm glad we're we're here. Otherwise, so I'm fully prepared it. for you, Steve. I've got everything you need Excellent. to sustain you through another exciting podcast. So I think we should just go for it and get on with it. All right, let's do it. Nice one. Hey, Nick. Hey, Steve. How you doing? I was just wondering what you've been doing this week. Yeah, um, I've been uh, been been pretty busy at work this week. Um, been playing a lot with a few different bits and pieces. Actually, I wanted to talk to tell you about it, right? So yeah. Uh, so we. Um, what have you been playing with, Steve? Well, I've been playing hopefully with... not your nuts again. <laughs> Thanks, Always Nick. Plays with his nuts. Um, no, I was. Uh, so we got this paper accepted, right? Oh uh, yeah, you got yeah. one in Nature Communications. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, and we're getting all doing it's quite. a... It's an average, though, isn't it? Yeah, shut, 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 your, shut your mouth. Anyway, I wanted to do some cover art, right? You want to do some what? Cover art. So I wanted to submit a cover art to the journal. So, when, so, so for anyone who doesn't know, when you, um, if you get a paper accepted in a journal, you obviously submit the, all of the scientific work to it. But on the front cover of that, a bit like you know, Hello Magazine or whatever, but you can actually submit a bit of art or a picture to go on the front cover of that journal. Could you put on... Like a member of the royal family, like it was Hello Magazine. You pro- yeah, or like Peter Andre or whatever. Catherine, like, what's her name? Like we're talking about pop culture. <laughs> I'm way out of my league here. <laughs> um, anyway, you 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 were responsible for the cover art. So yeah. did you consult with a paparazzi? Well, so I spoke to I spoke to my group, and we had a little. It was quite fun, right? We had a little a cup of tea, and we had a little bit of a kind of brainstorming session to come up with the ideas of what we could try, and all of which the ideas were were like I didn't like, and it's my paper, so I can have what I want. So did you overrule everyone? I just overruled everyone. <laughs> Um, and so, so anyway, um, there's, we use a technique in, in this paper, uh, which we didn't, uh, it's an acronym. So there's a lot of sciences full of acronyms. I hate your stupid acronym. So there's an acronym. Stead, Stem, Stead. Yeah, Stead's one. Um, but there's one, the, the acronym we use in this paper was developed by Robin Hogstrasser's group in uh, Philadelphia. It's called PAINT. And we, um, so which stands for something that's really boring, but I won't, I won't bore people with it. But we paints like that's that's a terrible acronym because it just makes me think of a really bad Microsoft program that you use. Well, for doing... it makes me think of a paint tin. So, so anyway, we did we did this version of it. It's called spectral paint. So we actually measured uh, the wavelength of this light, of of the light at the same time, right? So what I thought, well, this was my idea, right? So I was like, I'm going to get a paint can, an actual paint can, yeah, and I'm going to put in it a diffraction grating, yeah. right? And I'm going to get a white light source yeah. with an optical fiber. And I'm going to drill a hole in the back of the paint can. And I'm going to have a rainbow coming out the top of the paint can. Right? So I was like, oh, I'm really smart. And then, so, so I found everything, all the bits and pieces. And then I had to go and buy an empty paint tin. So I went into Farrow and Ball in Cambridge. I don't know if you've been to Farrow and Ball. It's not a place I'd imagine you would ever go, Nick. It's I like don't a, think many people will have heard of Farrow and Ball. Yeah, well, I live in Cambridge. There's lots of middle class people there. So, so Farrow and Ball I would is, go to home base. Well, I went to Farrow and Ball because it's right around the corner <laughs> from the department. And I walked in. I was like, "Can I have an empty paint tin, please?" And the woman there looked at me like I was just totally mental. Yeah, and, and like <laughs> totally justified as well. <laughs> yeah, so I was just like, and I had to give her this whole, uh, "Well, you know, I'm a scientist working in the chemistry department." Did you not like give her a sort of primer and say, "Oh, this is a strange request"? No, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, no, I said right, I've got okay. an unusual request. Um, uh, but anyway, like we had a bit of, we had a discussion, and and uh, she was like, "What do you want it for?" And did I was you see, just, I used the word primer there. Primer is good, yeah. Primer, it's a bit of a good because because like the pun on the yeah, I, yeah, I, I missed that. I only knew afterwards. Right. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, oh, you're so nice. it's, <laughs> it's 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 fun working with a professional, you know. Um, 
Anyway, uh, so we had a little chat and she was like, uh, yeah, that sounds, uh, I was to explain to her this exactly what I've just recounted to you. And she was like, yeah, no problem. So she went in the back and she gave me a load of paintings. Sweet. Yeah. And so I went back and I was like. Were they clean? They're brand new. But How do you get empty paint cans? We go to Farron Ball and you ask for them. But hang on a minute. Why would they have empty paint cans? Because they fill up the paint cans there, I suppose. They get. Don't they just buy it from some factory somewhere? No, I think, well, apparently not, because they had empty so paint So they've got, like, a paint factory in the shop. Well, I went around the, I went they in the back. dollop it all yeah, in? Yeah, I went out the back. I do not believe it's that. It's true, it's true. Well, I it's went... like some kind of apothecary shop, and then mixing <laughs> up... <laughs> with a big cauldron yeah. at the back and a big stairy spoon. Yeah, no, uh, brooms walking around. And... Yeah, so uh, we... Um, uh, so I, I so went in and, and told her, and she took me out the back. She showed me the, all, the, all, the, all the paint and stuff, and then she gave me these t- tins of different sizes, all for free. And um, so I took them back to the lab. Right. And uh, I got a to... Drilled Well, drilled a hole in it, but it's actually, it actually quite hard to drill a hole in a paint can. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I do it. You probably need more of a corkscrew type. Well, I, I did it with a forstner bit, which is the wrong bit to use. Um, but I drilled a hole in the back of the paint can. Anyway, got it in all, all set up. And then obviously, when you... Um, uh, obviously, if light just came out of the paint can and you were trying to look at it at right angles, you wouldn't be able to see it, right? So no. there's light going past your our eyes all the time, but yeah, when you see if it interacts, yeah. it bounces off something. So what did you do? Well, so I went and got some liquid nitrogen. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, while I was doing it, someone walked into the lab and I was drilling a hole in a paint can and they walked in and I just had this little moment where I kind of looked up comedically style and they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, it's a bit weird. I can picture it in my brain. It's a bit Monty Python-esque, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah. Um, so anyway, we got some liquid nitrogen and we um, uh, we like tested out it worked. Um, and uh, I'm going to, well, um, I'll, I'll show, shall I show you a picture of it? Well, yeah, well, you could put I'll, it on. I'll, I will tweet it. You can put it. it up later. So I'm going to show Nick the, the, a video of it. And actually, I suppose I can't really, we can't really put this up until I've, this is where they've decided they want yeah, this you need or the not. Co- yeah, you but I'm going to show Nick a movie of this now and hopefully we'll put it up on the. Um... So, uh, so a movie. Oh, that is wicked. Isn't that it is cool? really cool. So there's like. The like, paint can is not very aesthetically pleasing. Well, this isn't so. the final version. This was just checking to see if it worked. I'm about to show Have you. Have you done the final version? Yeah, I'm working on the final oh, version. Awesome. So moment. you've not actually submitted it yet? No, no, no. I'm actually working on it. So I'm just going to turn my laptop that around now and cool, show Nick man. what uh, I'm doing. Um, but anyway, so you, so we had to then get some liquid nitrogen. We took a load of pictures, stitched them all together. And I'm kind of working on it now. Oh. Um, but this is what it's going to look like. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't man. it cool? Yeah. And I've got to change yeah. all the things that say Farron Ball so it doesn't say Farron Ball. Yeah, because that would be like advertising stuff. Yeah. But maybe that what might happen is Farron Ball, they'll be sitting in their coffee room one day thumbing through an the issue of, of nature communications. And they'll see they'll see their paint can and then they'll say, well, we'll have to give Steve Lee a life supply of Farron Ball paint. Yeah, well, or, or they could f- fund my research. They're not going to sue you, Steve. Why would they see it? It's good because, publicity for them. Well, is it good publicity for them? Like Why it's their it's be? their brand. I'm I'm uh... promoting their brand. Well, not really, because I'm. It's, well, I could. I suppose I could have gone to Julius. We're talking about if people mention something on the radio or TV, like yeah. a comedian or something, they immediately get inundated with loads of the thing that they've mentioned. So I shouldn't. So I shouldn't go after paint. I should go after beer. I should, At, I should go for an acronym. Ast- Aston Martin car. Oh, exactly. All right. <laughs> do you know what? I think we can make up an acronym for Aston Martin. Let's do that. <laughs> Well, anyway, that's a f- uh, just let me know how you get on with that. We can yeah. follow that up later. Well, exactly. So I'll submit that now, um, hopefully next week, and then we'll find out how it goes. Good luck with that, dude. Thanks, mate. Steve, <laughs> do, you, do, you like, do you like the Sky at Night? I love the Sky at Night. Not quite as much as you do. I know you're favorite. a massive fan, aren't you? I was watching Huge. it this week. There's a new, I think there's a new see- series of it or something, because it was advertised, yeah. so I... I Set my, I always set my box to record it by default. God. The Sky at Night is the best science program on the television. Of all time? 
I don't know about that because Co- I like different Sagan's things different uh, times. Cosmos was pretty special. I've never opinion. seen that, but I liked Tomorrow's World when I was about I twelve remember years Tomorrow's old. World. That was good. Yeah. yeah, and I liked Johnny Ball's programs. We Johnny about Ball's. Him We're going to get Johnny Ball on yeah, the podcast. Johnny Ball. Anyway, so Sky at Night is brilliant program. I really like looking back at the old pictures, the old versions of Sky at Night. Things like when they didn't know that that uh, night that uh, the Mars had an atmosphere. Oh, and... dude, I've got some books. Upst- I've got Sky yeah. at Night books in from the seventies. Oh, that's so cool. When they didn't know what quasars were. Wow. But they, uh, but they, sorry, they didn't know where they were, but they knew they had the data that. Did they, they have entered even discovered them, but they hadn't worked out how they work? Or Didn't know what they were. Right. Some people thought they were inside the Milky Way. Cool. <laughs> well, for the, you, everyone out there, um, quasars, of course, are quasi-stellar objects or something. Yeah. And they are they're a long way away from us. They're sort of early galaxies or yeah. something or proto galaxies, pro, something yeah. like that. And they're from very early in the universe's history. That's why they're so far away. But anyway, Sky at Night. I was watching that um, the other night. Yeah. And I think it's really good at the moment because, you know, poor old Patrick Moore passed yeah. away. He was that's sad. Br- he, he was, was amazing. brilliant. I yeah. love Patrick. Total enthusiast, infectious enthusiast. Everything that's good about the BBC, I think, you know, that kind of like in, that, that person just interested in it, managed, would not normally be, be a very kind of media savvy, but just kind of got on with it. And he was the games master. So, you know, he what a career. Was. What a career. He was. He was. He's, he was a good guy. I saw him talk once. He came to talk at, um, at the hospital in Wolverhampton. Um, and um yeah, he gave an excellent talk, and he's Did such he play a the xylophone. Man. He did not have that talk, but no. he just seems like he always seems such a, a, a nice man. It's just I a agree. shame he, he had some quite strong views on women and fox hunting. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay. We won't go we into those at the moment. I think they're best brushed under the carpet. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I was watching it, and I think they've got a great team of presenters on that. At the moment. Right, I haven't. And they're seen better them. than your. I don't like you know. I don't like your Flash Harrys. That you get like your Brian Coxes you and that like lot. Brian no, Cox. I like someone who's a bit. I think the enthusiast. I know what you mean. Is someone's actually? It's kind of the people that do like it really like it. So yeah. they've got Chris Linter on it. Yeah, and I like Chris Linter. He's a guy that was that always been on it for a long time. He's been on yeah. for ages. Yeah, but and he's, he's actually an academic as well, right? He is he's an academic. academic. And then they've got um, Jim Al Khalili. Yeah, I also. I don't like Jim. I've met him a couple of times. He's kind. Well, I've never met him. You've met him? Yeah, a couple of times. Right. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I've not met him, but I think that he's not like to have a beer with. Just. You know, I was yeah. in the room with him. Yeah. But I think he's quite I like he's um he's understated. I see I think he's I think he's too I think he he patronizes people. No, I don't think so. Maybe it's just because yeah. I'm stupid. Or, or <laughs> you also patronise people too, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Oh, he's coming back at me. And then they've got the best yeah. of the bunch, Maggie. Maggie. Maggie, I think she's called Adderin Pocock. Ma- Maggie Adderin Pocock. She is exceptionally good. Really? She's I, I, brilliant. I, this is interesting. I want to hear. I, I hear love her. Yeah. And she's got a very clipped way of talking. Yeah. Very fast way of talking. She's yeah. a bit of a fashion like that. And then we're going to go to Chris. And we're going to talk about it. Yeah. She's like that. And I'm immediately kind of like engaged. I fancy her a little bit. Um, A little bit. She's got a sparkle. She's got a sparkle in her eye. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Maggie, if you ever listen to this, single tear rolls down. I can tell you when Maria's away. <laughs> right. Anyway, okay. so Maggie. yeah, but they were a great team, and it, they were talking this week because they've number one, they've discovered this um, planet quite recently around Proxima. Oh yeah, the closest exoplanet. Yeah, amazing. It's like a few. It's like three light years away or something. Yeah, three point yeah. eight or four or right, something. Right. I can't remember, but. Um, that was brilliant. And they, they interviewed one of the guys. This is the other reason I like it. So they do an interview and it's not, you know, the guy's not necessarily been prepared for it. It's just an interview with the science yeah. guy. And um, he's he, he was interviewed 
um, talking about it and how they discovered it and things like that. And it was it was really yeah. nice. It was really nice. So yeah, yeah. I, you know, it it really sort of brought home how important that discovery is as well. Right. Because it's the planet is around the orbit of. And it's so it's in the Goldilocks zone, right? It's a habitable planet. Yeah, like it's, it's slightly it's, different. So this this planet is not. It's got like an elliptical orbit or something. Was that right? I don't know, but it's very yeah. close. It's. It's something like um, it's within. It would be within Mercury's orbit if it was in our solar system. Right. But the star, I think, isn't is as a, hot. It's yeah. It's a red, red star. So it's much cooler. Yeah. And the habitable zone is would be the temperature zone would be much closer as well. It's very zone similar is to where water is in its liquid could state. Could be if if yeah. there were an atmosphere to it. So, but they don't know anything like that. They all they've done is measured the wobble of the star. Yeah. But anyway, I thought it was really well explained. Yeah. And it, it you know it talked to the actual scientist who'd done it. Um, it must be so exciting when you're because because oh, actually because I mean, astronomy must be quite boring right because basically you just sit in some very remote place staring at a little screen you know like integrating photons and then like and particularly for these exoplanet discoveries which they're what they're doing is they're looking at the fluctuations of the star as the as the planet crosses in between us and the and the star yeah and they don't actually see it even they yeah. just recover it much they, later exactly on but it's all deconvolving exactly a load of so you extract it from the number yeah. so like you do all of that. You go fishing, basically, and you don't know you've caught well, the fish. This is why I didn't quite understand, because they'd spent something like 60 days using some massive telescope to look just at Proxima Centauri. Oh, wow. To do okay. it. So they must have had some kind of inkling, or they must have thought, well, why don't we do it because it's our nearest neighbour. Did they say how many we found now? There's like a few thousand there's exo, yeah, exoplanets. There's, there's a lot. It's I mean, amazing, because literally 10 years ago, there was, there was none. none. You we had do none. It. We had it's zero. Incredible. We knew of zero planets outside of our own solar system. Talking about this, so within in the same... The other thing which fascinated me was... <laughs> yeah. Do you think in our lifetimes we'll ever be able to send a probe to another star? I don't know. So I didn't think so either. But by the end of the program, I was kind of like, maybe it's possible. So there was a guy and he has proposed what you could do is you could make a spaceship yeah. that's around a gram in weight. Right. Or several spaceships that are around a gram in weight. Right. Which okay. is not a lot. It's tiny. But he was arguing, well, you could on a gram, you can fit quite a lot. You can fit a camera, you can fit uh, receivers, you can fit a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, just think of, think of all the miniaturization that occurs in your phone, for instance. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you think you're going to get a spaceship that weighs a gram to uh, Proxima Centauri in less than a lifetime? Well, you have to accelerate to a very fast speed. How would you do it? Um, so there's a couple of ways that I think people... So there's the ones you can... You could probably push it with photons. So That's I guess what they were doing. At it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, they yeah. had these... They had... He was saying you could have some somewhere in 50... Gigawatt? Is it gigawatt or gigawatt? Giga. Not it's, in Back to the Future. Not How many the gigawatts future? was it? One point twenty-one gigawatts. Like twenty-one gigawatts. Ah! Yeah. So you can imagine this dude who gave me the idea. He's going fifty gigawatts. Wow. So he was in his lab. I don't know where he was. Yeah. Doing all that stuff. Thinking, oh, we can find a. We so we, do it. So, so what you see, is a wafer, a wafer, a wafer thin. Yeah, wafer, it has to be wafer thin. The trouble, the trouble with using light over that distance is that you do get dispersion; it scatters. No, 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 no. You don't have. You only have to shine it for a few minutes. All right, you just you zap speed it, it up. You zap it, and it, it will accelerate to twenty percent of the speed of light. Wow! Within a very short period of time, you shoot it off. You could do it lots of times, and you know that's that. And I was thinking. Oh my god! The light. That's a mate. Maybe they can. But then I suppose. Okay, so twenty percent speed of light. Um, it's gonna. You know, we we go. Then it's got to send that light back. Yeah, yeah. The that information yeah, back. Yeah. So it's gonna be. 
it's, oh, it's on the order of a lifetime. You're pissing all over my bonfire now. I yeah, know. we're never going oh, to. It's interesting. So I was, I was listening to it. It's a kind of related thing. I was talking about... Um, you you're like this, Nick, right? It's, it's on space, space related. So there's talking about the, you know the discovery of gravitational waves, which was a year ago yesterday. Oh, was right? it really? Yeah, which was the announcement. And I was listening to uh, uh, this uh, person describe it, and they were saying the technology that had to be developed in order to detect this, which is a huge discovery, the gravitational waves. It's predicted by Einstein. Um, you know, n we never thought we'd ever detect them. And the reason we did is that two labs independently made this measurement uh, at the same time when two black holes collided with each other. And that's the only time that we see sufficiently enough violent things in the universe to be able to detect them. Anyway, the, the, the interferometer that measured these, these things measured the bend of a laser light, you know, to less than the width of a proton in two separate labs in order to confirm it. Like, isn't that amazing? Like, yeah. like it's just, like, it, imagine the light just bending just a tiny bit, less than a proton. Sounds a bit suspect to me. Amazing. It's like that whole thing with them landing on the moon. Everybody <laughs> happened, did it? All right, let's get on with that. <laughs> oh. Steve, something's been annoying me. Really? What's up, Nick? It's the Francis Crick Institute. The Francis the Crick? It's the just, Crick just about Institute. to open at just King's about Cross. Just about to open, yeah. Yeah, headed by Sir Paul Ness. Initially. Yeah. It's been annoying me a bit. Why is it? What's wrong with the Crick? I don't know. And I think I think, I think, think you may be able to convince me do otherwise. You know, do you know what? I, I'm secretly a little bit annoyed by the Crick, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the reason. I can't play good cop so I'll tell well. you my reason that I'm annoyed by the Crick is. Yeah. That, um... And I'm not sure whether it's through my own mediocrity yeah. and sort of a, a sort of being jealous about it, or right. whether it's a de facto. I've got a reason that I should be annoyed you, about. Is it. it snobbery? Is it? There's I a certain so amount of elitism, I think, in the crick that's been knocking about. Generally, I don't. I don't like clubs and society. I don't. I'm not a big establishment person. I know you're not. Nick. No. And I don't like elitist groups of people. And science should be the opposite of that. It should enable everyone. It should be about ideals. A little you know. bit. But then there's a dichotomy with the crit because that's kind of their whole ethos at the same time. Getting the best people. Well, just kind of like having some kind of open thing Get that's all going of, on. All of you know, the best UK researchers in one place. Yeah. Kind of anyway, rewind. So the Francis Crick Institute, it's a new... Um, institute of a new building which has just been completed in London and yeah, if, you've, like if you go through station. London and you go to either King's Cross or St Pancras you'll see this big huge building and it's a really impressive thing it's kind of tall and it sort of bends out a bit at the mm. top and it looks almost like a boat like structure very impressive looking building so this was conceived I don't know maybe 10 years ago mm. so it's come to fruition from sort of a seed idea to fruition in yeah. less than 10 years um built with you know it's it's high-tech building it's kind of it's funded jointly by like multiple research councils and the welcome and and it's kind of it was it's supposed to be a kind of big collaborative thing for kind of biomedical research originally uh, so originally it was gonna it was a new home for both the Medical Research Council Laboratories, which were at Mill Hill yeah, in Northern That's right, yeah. And also... I applied for a job there. They didn't give it to me. Oh, they yeah. must have been crazy, Steve. Yeah. God, think about you walking through those corridors oh, in your leather jackets. They would, uh, they would... <laughs> anyway, yeah, and also the Imperial um, Cancer Research Fund, yeah. which is now Cancer Research UK, which is at Lincoln's and Fields. Subsequent to that, a load of other people put loads of money into it. 
So um, Imperial and Kings have put money into it. And maybe a couple of other places as well. I think so, yeah. Cost something. I think it cost 700 or 800 million um, pounds to build the place. And it's going to be funded every year by about 150 million from the MRC. But basically... It's kind of some some kind of utopian science place. There's no departments, no divisions. The first staff are all of the old PIs from Mill Hill and from the cancer That's research right. place. And then gradually they'll all die, right? Yeah. And then after that, they're only going to allow PIs to be there for a maximum of 12 years. Yeah. All right? And th- there's all... What annoys me is all these... But, oh, we're going to have... Oh, yeah, it's going to be all open plan, right? We're going to... Uh, we're colour coding the floors. We're going to have open... Um, coffee areas to allow interaction. It's all about interactions. We're going to put people higgledy piggledy. I agree with They'll that. all interact, and then you'll have coffees and things will take off. And I've got a quote from someone who's commented on it here. Right. And he says, yeah, and, and now they're all in one building. Suddenly, suddenly the discoveries will flow. It's just bollocks, he said. <laughs> this is in Nature. I'm yeah. not going to quote who it was. I can't remember. Actually, I haven't written down his name, but... I was kind of of the thing that I thought, well, that's kind of bollocks because a lot of that happens anyway, doesn't it, Steve, at university? Well, it's an interesting point. So I think, uh, so my experience uh, with academics is that if you, if you talk, to, if you get people, interested people together, they normally come up with good ideas. And I think any barrier that you can, anything, people will get really busy. We've, we've spoken about that before, how busy you are if, you, if you're an academic. And any opportunity you can to get together and to talk about what you do, I think will probably lead to good examples. So if you look, for instance, at the the LMB, the Laboratory for Molecular Biology in Cambridge, which I think as institutes go is the most successful thing the world has ever done in terms of Nobel laureates. It produced something like 17 Nobel laureates in 40 years or something. It was wacky, you know. Um, and they had exactly that philosophy, right? It's tiny building falling apart right from the start there was wrong shape wrong idea and but they but they when they they'd just been given a load of money by the mrc to build a new one right because they've been so successful which is great um and one of the main focal focal points of it was well how's the t-bar going to work because they wanted academics to get together and chat in an effective way um they didn't make it free i would have made the coffee free i think if you're spending 700 million quid on a on a building you can afford to give everyone a cup of tea you know are you talking about this new building now um i'm talking about this is for the lmb uh, in in cambridge but i think the idea of the crick is probably very similar um i think yeah i think getting people together and and things like like it's probably i think the philosophy of that is actually is a is a good one you know and i think it's although i i dis i agree with you about the um the uh academic snobbery you know that just because like being in the crick is like somehow actually a colleague of mine just got a secondment uh there for a couple of years and um uh she's um She's like really excited about it and that's really cool. But she definitely, she went for a kind of interview panel and there's very much this kind of feeling that they are somehow on some level kind of the superior. Cherry, cherry yeah, exactly. Them. And I, don't, I really, I don't like that. You I know, because blessed you. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it feels like the clergy. The idea, it yeah. feels like that they're the and pope. And it's been nicknamed Sir Paul's Cathedral. Yeah, yeah. Sir Paul Paul's nurse. Nurse. And one of the stated names is, oh, we hope that when they've had their six years, they'll go out into the country and take it with them around. It's like bloody evangelism or something. Well, no. So look. look oh, we'll no, go and proselytize. No, 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 look, look at look at say 
<laughs> Look at the, the the business world. So take McKinsey, right? So McKinsey is a management consultancy for people that don't know. It's quite often known as the, uh, they call it the CEO incubator. Something They're just like, a bunch of rich bastards. No, something like 80% of all CEOs in the Fortune 500 list in the US have worked for McKinsey at some point. Yeah, but I reckon and a lot of that, I reckon a lot of that is just the, again, the, um, the kind of... But their, their, the, mod, no, their no, model... They're, yeah. they're kind of, it's, it's who you know. It's one of these things you get con- contacts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely a. It's like people who go to Cambridge. All you know, they all know each other. The comedian, yeah. a lot of the comedians that go to Cambridge, I like a lot of them. But yeah. they're all in touch with each other. They each other, and it becomes kind of a boy, boys shaky shaky hands club. Yeah, but I, uh, I mean, I think so. If you take my McKinsey example, right? They, they know when you join McKinsey, you know that ninety percent of those people will not progress in the company. They will be out within four years. But you go in there knowing that, and what that means is because they have that high turnover of staff, those people go on to become CEOs. And, and spread that professional network and it's actually built into the company that that they expect you not to stay and i think there is a tendency i definitely have colleagues i'm sure you have the same that people kind of get a bit comfortable you know in an academic position you know you're just kind of doing things over and i think a turnover of staff is healthy we do that in business and in, in, in every in every business does that in academia you don't the only way you leave is by the grave and that seems a totally unproductive well, way first of all i don't agree with you steve about that you're because wrong. i think a lot of academics do leave because they get kicked out of the universities universities restructure their departments quite often they offer that often rare. leads to redundancies it's not that rare i don't think i mean i haven't got any statistics to yeah. show but it happened very recently in one of the univer- the london universities and a right. high proportion of their staff got trimmed off dead wood i mean i'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing you maybe you need to to do that from time to time but but that's but that's, what that's I different to... from that's different from having that built in you know yeah. that actually built in for to the structure right if you come in you're going to be here for 10 years or 12 years whatever that number is uh and we expect you to leave so people come into that job with the expectation that it's not going to be for life which yeah. people go into that job that you're talking with the university restructures with the expectation that they're going to be there till they're 67 yeah, yeah, yeah. and i think that's i think that's that's not helpful to science yeah, i like progress. and actually you bring me around a bit here because i like the idea of staying somewhere for a limited period of time yeah i don't want to be oh sorry guys <laughs> where i work <laughs> I don't think I want to be there my whole life because it just feels too... It gets a bit stagnant. I, I've, well, I'm just a bit of a... I prefer to be a t- bit more transitory. I agree. I think, it's, I think it's healthy. Another objection people have raised to it is yeah. the high cost of living in London and mm. citing it in London rather than somewhere else in the country. What do you think, Steve? So... Um... So it's interesting. So the Crick has got a lot of a big, uh, strong uh, structural biology component, right? So they have a lot of electron microscopes and crystallography machines. Yeah, all which... underground, I think, aren't they? Yes, but the issue is that at the moment... Oh, that's another thing that they've done. They've put some instrument on each floor randomly so that people have to go oh, that's cool. to use... Right. An... So, so they have to interact with each other. So they have to go somewhere. So do you know what they've done, right? Is they've realised that the scientists are really like socially inept, right? And what they've done is they've had to engineer solutions that require scientists to talk to each other rather than just lacking eye contact and walking around, shuffling your feet around, like being a massive nerd, going... <laughs> making the nerd noises. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the all of this... It's interesting that they, you know... That, like you said before, a lot of the MRC was was done in Mill Hill, which is a nice leafy suburb of London. And they have all this equipment that's incredibly sensitive spatially, right? That's, you know, that we're measuring things that are on the order of an angstrom, which is, you know, 10 billionths of a metre. Uh, very, very small. Um, and what they've done is they've built these new, this new fancy, inst- this new fancy uh, institute right by two of the biggest train stations and underground stations in the country. And that's not to mention Crossrail as well. Yeah, exactly. Which it apparently does... is actually a big problem. 
Really? For it. Yeah, huge problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, why did they not think about it? Surely someone had a... I think they did, but they were just like... I think they were kind of idealist about it. And I mean, I, I think that, that the criticism that I raised about yeah. it being expensive, I don't think that's such a, a criticism, actually, because a lot of people at that stage, younger acad- people... Yeah. They want to live in an exciting city. I mean, I mean, well, I, when I was a po- companies, are, you know, like Google and these kind of interesting. Yeah, but they terms. get a lot more bloody money than a postdoc no, does. No, that's true. That's true. But the, but the reason they cite their, their 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 company in London and not in you know Berlin or something, you know, the, U, the EU headquarters is in London. Yeah, yeah. It's because that, it's a dynamic city with full of interesting intellectual talent. Absolutely. So I mean, and when I was a postdoc, I wanted a bit. I want. I went there. I, I took yeah. the job because it was in London. Yeah. Because I thought I want to live in a good city. So I don't think that is a criticism. That's no. I think that's not. Good. I think people people we don't do the job for the money. We've spoken about it before, right? We do it. You do it because you like it. Yeah. I but think. having said that, it doesn't mean that there's not really other exciting cities in the UK. Like, of course. I mean, Bristol, Birmingham, Manchester. Manchester's incredible. Newcastle's uh, a great place. There's loads of really good yeah. cities. Scotland as well. So. Maybe they could have been and had a bit more imagination. You know where he wanted to put it originally? No. So Paul Hurth. On the Mall? No. Something. Oh, no, did we, it must have been somewhere of scientific importance. Was it the Royal Institution no, or something? No, 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 no. The opposite. Oh, it's going to be really He boring. wanted to build a Slab. mega lab in the Millennium Dome. Oh, so that's after, so cool. <laughs> so he said after the <laughs> after the the New Year's Eve stuff, 2000, yeah. he wanted to have a mega lab. Don't know why that didn't, didn't work. A bit silly, really. awful. It'd be weird. <laughs> you can't. I I I met Paul Ness once. He's a he's a nice like he's an interesting kind of guy. You kind of need people that dream big, you know. And he definitely dreamt big, and he's managed to deliver. Which How is do great. You, what did he what did you say to him? Uh, we had a chat. So actually, one of my collaborators we used to be one of his PhD students. So we, right. we kind of had a little chat about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Paul Ness, if anyone doesn't know, was the the uh, president of the Royal Society. He's also a Nobel laureate. He uh, does work in uh, um, like DNA repair. And it was fission yeast, yeah. yeah. So he discovered some of the really well-known uh, what are called oncogenes. So they're genes that you have in yeast and in people, but when you something goes wrong with those genes, it causes cancer. So the work in yeast became extremely relevant to cancer sciences, basically. Yeah. And a lot of drugs have been developed off the back of it. He was knighted in 1999. He seems to be a bit of a visionary type guy, mm. and he, but he's now not really. He's a he's a figurehead, really. Doesn't do I think that's true of anyone in that kind of yeah. position? It becomes he ran a, he ran somewhere in New York for a while as well. Right. Okay. Is well, no, I mean, I, I'm excited by um, by the Crick. I think it's I think it's good to try new things out. I, I admit it's a lot of money. It's, I I, it's an re- eye watering amount. I bet of, you resent the people that work there a little bit. Well, I know someone that does now. So do you she's resent? Just got, well, well, actually. <laughs> Actually, she's going to be one of her... We're going to interview her for, for, for the podcast. She's going to come awesome. on. So we're going I can't to talk wait. To yeah, isn't that... So she's going to... Uh, yeah, she's going to be on. We're going to well, discuss about can, her research. Maybe we can play her this little conversation. Prior to starting. And then, and then never she speak can to me again. tell... Yeah. Do you? Yeah. I've got a poem for you. Is it, is it a sciencey poem? Well, 
I was going to ask you, what is? can you tell me what the numerical mathematical significance of this poem is? Okay. Are you ready for it? So numerical or mathematical, both? Well, I, I meant what I said. Oh, okay, okay. Sir, I send a rhyme excelling in sacred truth and rigid spelling. Numerical sprites elucidate for me the lexicon's dull weight. If nature gain, not you complain, though Dr. Johnson fulminate. Hmm. It's a hard one. It was written by a fellow of the Royal Society, Anonymous, in the year 1905. And numerical. Is it something like, are they all primes? Are they the letters, are they all, is that right? You're on the right lines. Are they... It's You're the, on the, right the number line. of letters in it. No, you said I. There's an I in there, so it can't be one. So one's not a prime. Oh, shall I read it again? Yeah, quickly? go on in. Sir, I send a rhyme excelling in sacred truth and rigid spelling. Numerical sprites elucidate. For me, the lexicon's dull weight. If nature gain, not you complain, though Dr. Johnson fulminate. <laughs> I don't know. What is it? Okay, it's something to do. It's a mnemonic for something. Can you think what it might be a mnemonic for? So a way of remembering something. Yeah, yeah, I know. yeah what, okay. What, what, what might you be trying to remember? In maths. In maths. What sorts of numbers might you have been trying to remember before the advent of calculators? Oh, is it uh, like the um, uh, like logs tables or, or sign or something? Close. Something a bit more basic than that, actually. Um, something more basic than sign, than sign waves. Uh, I don't know, Nick. What it's, is it? It's a mnemonic for remembering... The numbers in pi. Oh, cool. <laughs> so it starts with Sir 3. Yeah. I send a rhyme excelling, 14159, and it goes on all the way till the end. <laughs> wow, that's cool. It's, it's a bit silly, really, isn't it? Wow, that's cool. There's pretty. also there's a series of other German one and a French one. I'm not going to bore you with it. So, so this, but the same idea, the same mnemonic, but they're just, uh, yeah. they're just in French and in yeah. German. Dear or held or alter philosoph. I can't, obviously I can't speak German. I'm better at French though. Right, come on then. K, je me faire a prendre, a nombre utile au sage. That's my Brummy French black, black country accent. Que je me faire a prendre. It's interesting, isn't it, to think that that was, used to be useful. But like, it's like, remembering the eighth digit of pi now is completely useless to our lives. It's important, but we, there's no need to remember it. Yeah, it's a time saver, isn't it? We don't have to bother learning these poems. But I think you lose something of the beauty of the world. Indeed, you... indeed. Why do we need Patrick, Oscar, Bay. Isaac, Newton, transplanting? Uh, we've come to the end, Nick. Oh, I uh, well, I do need to go to the toilet. Actually, I'm kind of, I'm kind of bored of you, to be honest. <laughs> well, that does happen. I just like, yeah, I'm really, I might as well just go home. Oh well, you know, it won't be long till we see each other again. That's though. true. Hopefully, uh, people like the podcast, um, and if they want to hear more, they should interact with us on uh, social media on Twitter. Uh, I'm uh, Steve the Chemist, and I'm the Evans Lab. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud and on YouTube. Oh, YouTube! We've actually got a Twitter account now. The Science Shed's got a Twitter account, not just me and you. 
Whoa, um, who's going to write things on that then? Well, either of us can. Oh. Um, but mainly I me. I can barely handle my own one. Yeah, well, it's not so you spend a lot of time on Twitter, really, is it, Nick? <laughs> um, yeah, so hopefully you enjoyed it, uh, and we'll see you next time. See you guys. Bye.